Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to teach chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, which I have done one time before about a year and a half ago. But I'll tell you, this is going to be a completely different sermon, uh, even though it's the same text. Have you guys ever read a text and then God breathed something into the text that you hadn't seen before and reveals something new to you? And so that's what happened with this text for me. And so I want to talk to you about your giving. We're going to talk for the next three weeks about your giving. And let me tell you, I understand that that freaks people out. People don't like talking about their giving because it challenges them. But I've never been called to not challenge you. My responsibility is to change, challenge all of us, myself included, in our spiritual walk. And part of our spiritual walk is our giving. Amen? We could talk about sin. We could do all the stuff. I do all the other hard teaching. And most everybody's okay with me doing all that other hard teaching. Most everybody's okay with me doing all that other hard teaching. But when I start messing with their money, they get all freaked out. You know why that is? Because they don't have an understanding of what their, where their money came from. And this is the way people get saved. They get saved by giving their heart first. We give our heart to the Lord. And then after we give our heart, we give our calendar. We get excited about God. We're all, man, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to participate in whatever this thing is. The very last thing we're willing to give to God is our wallet. So our heart gets saved, and then our calendar gets saved, and then somewhere down the road, our wallet gets saved. Amen? I mean, it's just the way that it is. And so I want to talk to you about prioritizing your wallet for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, for the expansion of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to do that for the next three weeks. And I know that many of you are thinking he's going to talk about money for three weeks. I think I'm just going to lay out after today. You're welcome to do that, but I'm just going to wait till you come back and preach it again. <laughs> First, let me tell you this. There's some thoughts that people have about money. They say the church must need more money. Church must have some kind of problem. Church needs your money. No, no, yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Church doesn't have a problem, but the church needs money. I'm not going to lie to you and color it up and tell you you know what, if you give or if you don't give, God's going to come through. God is going to come through, but he's going to come through through his people. And so you're going to make a determination whether or not you're going to be the people that God's going to use or God's not going to use. And so because I know that that's true, I want to hit that head on and tell you the church needs more money. Because when we have more money, we reach more people, we can do more things, and more souls are added to the kingdom of God. That's just the truth. And so I want to get that out of the way first. Secondly, I would tell you that I'm not trying to take anything from you. 
My paycheck doesn't increase because you guys give. I, I, I don't work on a percentage. Matter of fact, it's, I think it's illegal for me to work on a percentage. Is it IRS? It's illegal to, for me to work on a percentage. Dang it. <laughs> but my paycheck isn't going to increase. So I'm not trying to take anything from you. I want what God has for you. I'm going to tell you something about my personal finance that I didn't plan on telling, but I'm going to tell it. And I'm not going to tell you how much it is. But I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you to do anything that Angela and I haven't done. To prove to you I'm not trying to take anything from you. Angela and I have given the equivalent of my salary to the church last year. Which means that for all rights and purposes, I worked for free last year. And I don't tell you that to say, look at what I've done. I've told you that to tell you I'm not trying to take anything from you. I don't want anything from you except for your obedience to whatever God tells you to do. Angela and I give what we give because we feel obligated by God to do what he tells us to do. Even when, even especially when, it's uncomfortable. And then finally, <clears throat> because our giving and our willingness to submit to God, that which is his anyway, proves our lordship. Why am I asking you to give? Because giving proves lordship. Like I said, the last thing we give to God is our wallet. People don't give because they don't trust God in the gap space. And this is what I mean by that. I'm going to give $20, but my budget's pretty tight. And so I, I feel like I'm, God's telling me to give $50. I'm only going to give $20 because I know what my budget is, and that would create a $30 gap in my budget. So I don't trust God with my $30 gap because I haven't truly come to understand that God takes care of those who belong to him, which means I don't understand his lordship over my life. Now, I'm going to talk about how to determine what you should give and all that kind of stuff. You're never going to hear me be the pastor that says, I'm feeling somebody supposed to give a $10,000 check in here. That's not for me to say. My job is to say that you are to give according to what God tells you to give and to not give according to what God calls you to give is disobedience to the word of God. I love that giving is a grace, which means it's, un, it's, it's unmerited favor, which means it's non-obligatory. You don't have to give it until you pray about it and God tells you what to give and then it becomes obligatory. Everybody all right with that? All right. Well, I mean, I'm going to tell it anyway. I'm just kind of curious. I want to test the temperature of the room because it's about to get more enjoyable. The fact of the matter is, giving is a barometer of a person's spiritual maturity. You want to know how much people trust God? You want to know how much they believe that he can take care of them? Check their bank account. Open up their checkbook and see what they're spending their money on. Your priority, your greatest priority 
and the priorities underneath that priority will always be seen first and foremost in how you spend your money. Some of us need to think on that for a minute. But God's called us to trust him. We don't give because we don't trust that he can sustain us. I can tell you that God is a sustainer of his people according to his word. And so I'm going to talk about money, but the, but I know some of you are already, man, you're going, some of us and some people that may watch this later are asking yourself, well, Pastor Jim's asking for money, but the Bible says money is the root of all evil. Isn't that what the Bible says? What does it say? The love of money. It says this specifically is the root of all sorts of evil, not evil in in its entirety, but all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it, and how many by longing for it? Not all of them. So they're not saying everybody that has money or asks for money or gives money is evil. Some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with grief. Here's the truth about money. Money isn't good or evil. Good people are going to do good things with the money they have. Bad people are going to give bad things or do bad things with the money they have. Money is neutral. It's morally neutral. You can't make money be good or bad just because it's in your pocket. Now, you can be good or bad, and it could cause you to do good or bad things, but I'm going to assume because you've declared the lordship of Jesus Christ over your life, your desire is to do good things with those things that God blessed you with, not just your money, but your time and your talents and everything that God has placed in you and on you and around you. And so today, we're going to talk about money. Tomorrow, or next Sunday, we're going to talk about money. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about money. Not because I want to take from you, but because I want for you. We're going to talk about giving up, giving over what we feel comfortable giving. Amen? We will be challenging ourselves to give according to the riches of God's grace. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I need you to believe that. I need you to pray about what God would have you do. And if God called you to do it, he will take care of you through it. And he will take care of you according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, because you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So I want to talk to you about that. Specifically, extravagant giving is what we're going to talk about today. Great generosity. And I'm going to do that from 8, 1 through 5. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, I want you to pay attention. He's writing to the Corinthians, but he's not talking about the Corinthians. He's talking about the Macedonians. He's bragging on the Macedonians to the Corinthian church, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. 
that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Amen. Point number one, if you're taking notes, and I would recommend that you do, extravagant giving exposes the grace of God. Paul begins telling the Corinthians that the Macedonian churches, that is the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, and the Berean churches had been exposed to the grace of God. They had tasted the favor of God. They had come to salvation in Christ Jesus. You know how I know that? Because he starts this with now brethren. Paul was a Christian. For him to call another brother, brother, in the scripture is to say that they are kinsmen in Christ Jesus. And so he wanted the Corinthian church to understand that the church in Macedonia, first and foremost, had accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That they believed beyond all things that Jesus Christ saved them. Everything that they did, the actions they took, the afflictions they suffered, they did all of those things because of the relationship that had been established in them through Christ Jesus. And we should do the same thing. Our, if we truly believe, how many of you guys truly believe, and I'm not talking about church belief, I'm not talking about making you feel good about being in a room, I'm talking about how many of you are convictionally, absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ was real, went to the cross, died, rose again, sits at the right hand of the Father so that you might have the hope of eternal life and so that you might be redeemed from your sins. How many of you guys believe that is absolute truth? Then guess what? Paul would call you brothers too. Paul would say that you have tasted grace. And he said that about them. In Philippians 1 and 2, he calls them the family of God. He says, to all saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, Thessalonica, or that in Philippi, grace to you and peace from our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, he's talking to brothers. He says this phrase in the book of Philippians. He says it in first and second Thessalonians. We don't have a Bereans, but there's a Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he uses almost this exact same verbiage because he understood them as relatives in Christ Jesus. And let me read that to you again. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, grace to you and peace from God, who? Our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we belong to the same family on the same proclamation of the same sacrifice of the same Jesus. The Macedonian church believed the gospel message, and that's why he calls them brethren. This is important. 
This is important because we have to take care of family. We've been called to take care of family. So they tasted grace. They were exposed to grace. And so their generosity, so they were generous so that others may understand grace too. How many of you guys, if you say, well, you didn't, you've already said, but you raised your hand and said, I believe these things. Now, the next question would have to be, how many of you think that it's our responsibility now to then let other people know of the God that we serve? Show of hands. Amen. They did too. And so their generosity exceeded their ability because they wanted other people to know. But their generosity wasn't built from human kindness. It was a response to the grace that they received. I don't give out of the kindness of my heart, although I'm a pretty nice guy, I think. I give, sacrificially give. Now, if a man walked past me and said, hey, I need $5 for a cheeseburger, my human kindness probably give him $5 for a cheeseburger. But at the, to the degree that we give, Angela and I give because we believe that our giving makes a difference in growing and expanding the kingdom of God. And that's what I want you to know too. You're like, well, you know, it, just, it just keeps the doors of the church open, pays the rent, turns the lights on. Guess what? That's where you're sitting today. That's where you're sitting comfortably today. That's where you're being equipped so that other people might come to know Jesus today. This is where we offered yesterday an opportunity for a ministry that um, ministers to abused women to come in and have their volunteer orientation absolutely free of charge yesterday so that they too might know. People who have lived in abuse their whole life, sexually abused, beaten on, every kind of thing in the world you can imagine, had an opportunity to come here and train on how to take care of women like that because we give in a faith-based environment where they're not just going to learn that they're okay and that they're safe, but they're okay and they're safe because Jesus Christ is real and his community and his personhood loves, the, loves them enough to want to take care of them. That's what this church exists for. That's what the people exist for. People are dying and suffering and struggling that stops as we become equipped. That equipping happens in a place that sadly we have to pay for. If somebody decided to just give us a building, we didn't have to pay taxes on it or anything like that, I'll be honest with you, I'd, I'd still ask for your giving because I believe there'd still be more people to reach. But we'd need less of it, you know, for this building. Anyway. They understood that the gift given to them in Christ Jesus was unreasonable by human standards. And so they, they, they gave sacrificially because they received from sacrifice. A gift of this magnitude deserves sacrificial giving. Everybody all right? All right, that's good. I ain't got to the hard part yet. I probably have, I don't know. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
They were given an offering of the life of Christ Jesus. And they knew that in order, they can't pay that sacrifice back, but in order to walk according to the obligation we have, they had to be givers. They knew they shouldn't give a sacrifice that doesn't cost them something, a sacrifice that doesn't pinch them up, a sacrifice that doesn't cause them a little tension. Like David knew that you don't receive from God, that you don't give something back to God. 2 Samuel 24, many of you are familiar with this. Pestilence was sent to the people of Israel. 75,000 people died, I believe that's the right number, because he took a census provoked by the enemy to do so. And in verse 18, this is what it said. So Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jezubite. David went up according to the word of Gad, just as the Lord had commanded. Arana took down, looked down, and saw the king and his servants crossing over toward him. And Arana went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king. That is, he, Arana saw David coming, went down there and bowed down to the king. Then Arana said, Why is my lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be held back from the people, because that's what he was commanded to do. Arana said to David, Let my lord, king, take the offer up, take and offer up what is good in his sight. Let the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king, Arana gives to the king. And Arana said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. So the Arana, the guy that owned the oxen, that owned the wood, that owned the threshing floor, said, listen, I just want to give this as an offering to you. I just want you to know that I love you, that I respect you as king. And King David says, no. He says, I'm not just going to take these things from you. He said, however, the king said to Arana, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. We've received from the God, from God, and we shouldn't give offerings that cost us nothing. We've been given a command by God. That command should cost us everything. That command is to make disciples. That command should cost us everything. That command is to make known the kingdom of heaven. That command should cost us everything. That command tells us to go out into the highways and the byways, and that should cost us everything. That command tells us to go to take care of the needy, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, those in prison, those who don't have something to drink, those who don't have food, those who don't have clothing, those who don't have homes, and those things should cost us everything. You know why? Because everything was given so that we could. Man, we got to get our heart right if we're going to get our wallet right. Somebody's preaching today. The Macedonians gave because they understood 
who they were and what was done for them. But they gave for another reason. And it's a reason I've stated shortly already. Because they knew family takes care of family. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. All those people I just talked about, widows and orphans and people that are hungry and all those things, whether they belong to the family of God or not, you know the greatest way to make them understand that they are loved is to love them even when they're not. So it says to do good to all people and especially to those who are in the household of faith. It it should be abhorrent to us that people within our own congregation are suffering. We do a lot of stuff for our own community. And every now and then I'll ask, we're doing, like at Christmas, we're, we, we did 60 angels. 60 angels, so we provided Christmas for 60 kids. But every Sunday I made sure to say, but if there's someone in this house who's not able to take care of their family, you let us know and we'll take care of you because God gave you a family for a reason. Amen? Because they were exposed to grace, the Macedonians wanted to ensure others were exposed to grace. So they gave. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Man, this is such a beautiful thing. Those are all big words. But essentially, God has placed us between His work and the, those who don't know Him to declare the gospel message to the people who don't know him so that they might be reconciled, so the enmity between them and God may be done away with. I can prove this to you in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling, bringing together the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That ought to blow you away, man. Not counting our trespasses against us. How many of you guys got trespasses even now you think God should probably hold against you? I do, but the Bible says he doesn't. And that's the only reason I can stand up here today or I'd be devastated. He said, not counting their trespasses against them and he has committed to us that word of reconciliation. He trusted us to give that word of reconciliation. He trusted us to bridge the gap between what he has done and what he wants to do in their life. And we, well, I almost said something crazy. And and we just flippantly ignore it like it doesn't matter. We don't extend ourselves physically, financially, emotionally, for the needs of other people, to introduce them to a Christ that gave everything so that we could be in relationship with Him. Who are we to hold on to anything? And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about my time. I'm talking about my talent. I'm talking about everything that God has placed in me to proclaim Him and create that bridge should be completely exhausted so that others might know. That's what the Macedonians knew. Sometimes that means preaching the gospel. 
And like my brother here said, sometimes that means sending others to preach the gospel. Hmm. Lord, come on. But then it goes like this. That in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They had tasted grace. They wanted other people to taste grace, and so they gave. But it says they did so in affliction. But in their affliction, abundance of joy. If you look up that word affliction, it means crushed like a grape. Macedonia was a region, was northern region of um, Rome, of the Roman Empire, wrought by war and devastation and persecution, unlike anything we've ever seen. Third world conditions. And they had been crushed in every way imaginable, afflicted. But the Bible says, according to this, they still had an abundance of joy. And out of that joy gave. Man, my life's hard. It ain't people breaking down your door, nailing you to a cross hard. It ain't people burning down your home hard. Ain't nobody crushing you like a grape. I have a con- Can I tell you I have a tension that lives inside of me? Here's that tension. I enjoy my comfort. But I know that the church grows at the spilling of the blood of the martyrs. And I want, the tension is that I would almost welcome martyrdom in the United States so that the church and the kingdom of heaven might grow. Because until the Western church gets shocked, their joy isn't going to be anything but circumstantial. It's going to be hard for us to find it in the Lord. And that's a tough word. But not just that, it says, and in their deep poverty overflowed with the wealth of their liberality. Their deep poverty, that, that is third world poverty. That means just, just nothing. They had nothing, but they wanted to give. And so they gave. Guess what? They probably didn't give $10,000. They might have given a nickel. But can I tell you, a nickel to somebody that has a dollar is a pretty significant offering. By the same token, a $10,000 check by a man that's worth $10 million probably ain't all that big a deal. So you need to seek God about what you give based on what you have so that you give sacrificially as they gave sacrificially. It's not my job to tell you what to give. I don't want to take anything from you. I only want that what God has for you. Amen? And I ask that you do it with a generous heart. Number two, extravagant giving exceeds our ability. And these are going to be short. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. What? They didn't have anything. But they gave more than even what was expected. I don't expect anything from you. Can I tell you that? 
except one thing. Obedience to whatever God is expecting from you. Let your giving exceed your expectations. Until it costs you something, it benefits you nothing. There's a story in your Bible that we get messed up. And when I say messed up, we get wrong. And it's a story of the widow's might. You guys heard that? Man, we, we applaud that widow. And we should. Jesus, Jesus applauded her faithfulness. But can I tell you, the main crux of that story isn't to applaud her faithfulness. This isn't something we should be using as an offertory. I'm going to mess you up here. This is what it says. In Luke 20, 45, it starts like this. And while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Jesus, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the chiefs, chief seats in the synagogues and places of honors at banquets. He said, just be careful of the people that think they know something because they typically don't know anything other than what makes them comfortable. Who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake take long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Now, the, your Bible probably has a distinction. It, it divides that section from the other section, but this isn't how it was originally written. We put the verses, we put the distinctive markers in the, in the text. It says, and then after he's saying they devour widows' houses, he said, and then he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Do you think it pleased God that she felt so pressured that she didn't just give an offering, but she gave everything she had to live on? Jesus is applauding her faithfulness, but he's condemning the Pharisees for putting her in a position to have to be commended. Why do I tell you that? Because I'm not trying to tell you, put in all that you have. I'm trying to tell you, listen to what God has to say. Don't listen to the Pharisee. If I may put myself in the Pharisaical seat for a moment, don't listen to me. Listen to God. Because let me tell you, if I tell you to sow $10,000, and you do, but God only told you to put in 10, he's only blessing the 10. Because that's what you were obedient to. That's what you were supposed to be obedient to. Amen? Everybody all right with that? Some of y'all, man, I can't use that as offertory anymore. That stinks. Jesus is still commending her giving, but he's determined to show the Pharisees were more concerned about their pocketbook than this woman's livelihood, and that's not what Christ is about. Nor should it be what we're about. And then finally, extravagant giving is based in expectation. Verse 5 says this, and this, not as we as expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord 
and to us by the will of God. They gave more than he thought they would. I wonder if Paul, knowing their condition, solicited money from them at all. But they gave more than he thought they would. But I want to tell you something. They gave because they first gave themselves to the Lord. Before I ask you to start praying about what you should give, what you should do, I need to ask you to pray about where you are. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? They gave because they knew him. Do you know him? Jesus gave everything he had to our salvation, to our eternity, because we were condemned had he not done so by our own sin. And the Bible says all we have to do is cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in our heart, God raised him from the dead. And that offering which he gave will be sufficient for our eternity. And so I ask you, have you given first your heart to the Lord? And if you haven't, or if you need to get that back right so that you can hear clearly from the Lord, now's the time to do that.